Colossians chapter 3, uh, from verse 23, and that's page 1184 in your Bibles. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And the second reading is Titus chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? God, we pray that this morning you will guide our thoughts and that we will take from this morning the things that you want us to learn and to apply in the week. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, salt and light at work. Um, Actions speak louder than words. Um, It may be because I was made uh, redundant recently that the idea of talking about being at work sort of jarred slightly. So um, when I saw the the topic to speak on, I thought, well, that sounds a little limited for people who are not at work, thinking of, uh, you know, no particular examples uh, at all. And then it struck me that actually the other way of reading that, rather than salt and light in the workplace is salt and light doing what they're supposed to do. It's salt and light in action. Salt and light getting on with it. And I think that's partly what Paul was talking about, both in his letter to the Colossians and also to Titus. Now, um, let's have a look at the next slide, because Paul was writing to Christians who were in the minority. And I think, I don't know... To what extent you have this sense these days, but it is very, very clear to me that we are living in a post-Christian society. Christians are not the majority. Christianity is not regarded as the sort of the standard framework for living in the UK and certainly not across Western Europe. So we are in the same sort of situation as the New Testament church. The environment's a little bit different. We have mobile phones, they didn't. They had slavery. We see less of that, although it does exist. 
and a whole bunch of other sort of cultural uh, and sort of societal aspects. But that core truth that the society in which we operate, the people with whom we interact, do not have Christianity as a frame of reference, that's, that's the same. And I think for us, as Christians in 21st century UK, we need to bear that in mind. It's very easy when we're in a church that has been around for over a thousand years, it's very easy to think that we are sort of, you know, that when we talk to other people about sin or temptation or grace or redemption or just the basic concept of sort of loving your neighbours or we say, oh yeah, remember the parable of the talents, that they'll go, oh yeah, I remember that. Even if they don't sort of believe it, they'll remember it. Well, they won't because they've never heard any of that. So we need to remember that we are living very much like the New Testament church. Now, the cities of Colossae, it's in Turkey, um, and Crete, which is where Titus was based, um, they were commercial hubs. Colossae had actually rather sort of fallen down the rankings. It had previously been um, a very big and sort of strong commercial place and was now a bit second division. But, you know, they were popular sort of trading routes, and they had all the usual sort of smorgasbord of religion and gods that you get in the Roman Empire. You have to remember the Romans, as a, as a sort of a culture, um, they were very good at assimilating other religions. So if they invaded a country and liked the gods they found, they adopted them. Sometimes they rebranded them, so they renamed a lot of the Greek gods with sort of Roman names. The stories were all the same. Sometimes they just adopted them anyway. So there was a, you know, again, that sounds quite like modern society, doesn't it? It's a, well, yeah, hey, Christianity, great. Jesus was a good guy. Brilliant. You know, yeah, I've, uh, I've read bits of the Bible. I love it. You know, read that with the Bhavad Gita, and I read it with the Quran, and uh, Karl Marx had a few things to say on that as well. It's all part of the sort of smorgasbord. It's all just the general sort of stuff. That's how a lot of people will regard Christianity. And that was the same for the new Christians in Colossae and in Crete. So Paul wanted them to think about how they would be perceived by those people around them. He wanted them to think about how do you do Jesus? How do you be Jesus to those people that you're living with and working with? How can you be Jesus as a slave to a Cretan master? How can you be Jesus as a master of a slave in Colossae. That's the issues that Paul was thinking about. And what he was basically saying, of course, is, is true of us today. One of the big challenges the church faces is that people think it's bad and not good. For a lot of people out there, when you say, oh, you know, the church, they immediately start thinking of paedophilia, or um, other sort of terrible forms of oppression, or they think of division, or they think of homophobia, or they think of um, violent language, or they think of the man that I sometimes see on London Bridge, who uh, 
he's a very dedicated Christian, far more dedicated than I, and I know that because he has a loudspeaker strapped to his chest and he shouts Bible verses at commuters as they're walking to and from London Bridge Station. He's an evangelist, I think would be the label that he would give to himself. Um, Most people regard him as a nuisance. And uh, he's a lot less musical than some of the other people who sort of shout and holler near London Bridge. Um, But he firmly believes he's doing the right thing, and I can't criticise him for for what he believes. Um, But his actions speak louder than his words. His words are pretty loud, but his actions, you can see from the faces of the people going past, his actions are telling them something different. So that's what Paul was writing about. That was why he was writing to those Christians. So how do we start engaging with this in our post-Christian society? Let's have a look at the next one. Well, of course, Paul wasn't making it up. He was basically preaching what Jesus had taught. You'll remember Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine for others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. But of course... Christianity is not about doing good things to people to make them feel good about God. It's not some sort of, you know, Scientology-based manipulation. We're not love-bombing people in the hope that that will sort of, you know, break their resistance and suck them into the cult. That's not what's going on. Because Christianity at its heart is about us and our relationship with God and how it changes us, then how it changes what happens around us. As it says in Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So whatever you're doing, in whatever circumstance, even if you are a slave... And that's quite a challenging concept. If you are a slave, Paul is saying, well, be a slave for God. I'm fortunate I've never had to be a slave. So I don't really know what it would be like to put that into action. I find it very, very challenging if I think of what being a slave must be like and how... How sort of angry it makes me feel when I hear about modern slavery and people who are brought over to the UK and and kept captive. That makes me feel very, very upset. And if I was in that situation, I can't quite imagine how I would be Jesus to my masters. But that's actually what Paul is saying. He's saying it's so fundamental. Your relationship with God should be so deeply embedded that everything you do should be imbued with the Holy Spirit, should be uh, riddled through with the essence of God. So how do we take that forward? Let's have a look at the next slide. Now, Paul's advice to Titus. So Titus was a young leader of a very new church, and there was a huge possibility for him to completely screw things up. And Paul is giving him a lot of advice about how to actually lead the church. And a lot of what Paul writes is very sort of church-specific and very Titus-specific. So it's one of those letters where you have to read between the lines and read beyond the lines and say, okay, right, well, I'm not Titus, I'm not in Crete, I'm not leading a New Testament church, so what's God saying to me through this letter? But it's worth grappling with for that reason. 
Because what Paul is saying to Titus here is, you have to lead by example. You have to show them what Jesus is like. And then they will start to want to be like that as well. So you can't just tell them. You can't just tell the young men to sort of behave in a good way. You can't just tell the old men to respect you. You can't just tell the old women to do whatever it is you think they should be doing, and so on and so forth. You can't just tell people because you're Titus, the leader of the church. You know, this is classic leadership training, isn't it? If you go to any MBA course around the world, they will say the only way to lead is to lead by example. You have to walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. So this is not new. Maybe not a lot of people on MBA courses realise they're actually sort of basing their MBAs on Pauline teaching, but... um, It's a very familiar concept. Because think about how you sort of judge other people. And, you know, we all do it. We know we shouldn't judge other people, but we all do it all the time. You judge them by what they do. And by how they dress and how they speak and a whole bunch of other things. But it's... You don't listen to what they say as a primary way of making up your mind about them. One of the things that I'm... So I've, uh, as I say been sort of uh, made redundant from work, and they very kindly give me an outsourcing contract, which means I can go along to, um, to a company that will help me find another job. And one of the courses that they run, or a number of the courses they run, are around how to present yourself at interview. And, you know, you, you've all been sort of in these sorts of situations where it's, you know, if you go in, and you say, I quite like the job, uh, but, you know, I quite like being at home, actually. Um, you're not really going to get a job offer. Whereas if you're going, going, yeah, wow, I've read your website. This is the greatest company on earth. and I'm so fired up. Uh, you probably won't get the job either. So you have to find somewhere in the middle to, uh, to sort of, you know, you actually have to really, you have to find something that's culturally appropriate to the business. So I've been working in businesses for a long time now where, um, you know, suits, smart black shoes. Uh, in one particular place, they were very keen. They had to be lace-ups. Um, you know, you dress like a sort of, financial worker, proper sort of city gent or whatever. Um, But of course now, going to meet other companies in the fintech environment, that's financial technology, it's like, you know, hey, we're a baby Google, don't wear a tie, man, because we'll be so uncool. And uh, so I've had to sort of, you know, get a bit used to sort of, you know, not wearing a tie and maybe wearing sort of, you know, chinos, perhaps smart jeans, or what sort of shoes. And you suddenly get into this fashion crisis, what am I going to wear? I can't just wear a pinstripe. Bit of a diversion, but that's culturally sort of appropriate. You're adjusting what you're doing to the people around you. And Paul's advice to Titus is, yeah, lead by example. You want them to do things, well, show them. You want your neighbour to be loving, well, love your neighbour. Very interesting quote that I came across while um, thinking about this from Maya Angelou, uh, an American poet black American poet Um, and I thought this was a really profound way of speaking louder than words from the the sort of perspective of the recipient I've learned that people will forget what you said well I've learned that well as a preacher none of you will remember most of what I say at the end of it and you'll forget what I did one or two people still um, 
still remember the film company called CGI that I was bouncing around about a few weeks ago, but um, most of the time you forget what people do, but you don't forget how they make you feel. And that's true, isn't it? That's true. You can probably remember school teachers who made you feel really bad or really good. You won't remember what they said. You might remember what subject they taught. You won't really remember what they did, but you'll remember how they made you feel. You'll remember older relatives who made you feel good or bad. You'll remember friends, neighbours, work colleagues. You'll just remember people you came across sort of, you know, on the train or walking. People will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Ripples on a pond. How we make people feel ripples out. That's what Paul is saying to Titus. He's saying, look, if you do this, some people will follow you, and then other people will follow them. Those, those patterns of sort of behaviour, those ways of doing things, that example that you're setting will ripple out. They will begin to sort of infect, if you like, the people around you. It will spread. So from one very small action, just you being kind to a stranger or somebody you know by sight at the bus stop, that will have a ripple effect because they will remember how you made them feel and that will change how they feel. And then that will change how they interact with the next person they meet. Let's have a look at the last one. So this is the challenge, I think, that Paul is putting out for us. How do you make people feel? Now, I, I know how I make people feel, and uh, there's a whole range from the sort of the really bad to the pretty good. And I can be aware of times when I'm making people feel bad, which I don't want them to do, but that's what I'm doing. But there are other times when I'm being much closer to God, and I know that I can make people feel loved, encouraged, special. I can begin to have a similar impact on the people around me that Jesus had on the people around him. And that's the aim, isn't it? That's what Christianity fundamentally is about. We have been given this extraordinary gift, this permanent, unbreakable relationship with God through Jesus. But we have to give that away. And we do that by actions, not words. But the actions we take, we need to think about, how does this make the other person feel? Am I being Jesus them. How would they feel if they met Jesus? Are they feeling the same way when they meet me? Let's pray. Father God, we want to be Jesus to those around us. Lord, we want to have you so, so deeply within us, so integrated with who we are and how we are, that when people meet us, they meet you we fade into the background and they can see you face to face and know your love and your grace for themselves in Jesus name